Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Kevin Hogan. Let's take a look at our top stories. The Pentagon releases video footage of the incident between a U.S. drone and a Russian fighter jet. The incident prompted a rare direct call between defense leaders of the two countries. A massive study says natural immunity is the best protection against COVID, beating out all vaccines. The study analyzed data from 65 other studies in 19 countries. Stanford apologizes for the disruption to a federal judge's talk at its law school. This and the protest at UC Davis over an event featuring Charlie Kirk raise questions about free speech in America. We bring you analysis. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis' national actions for publicity could allegedly be illegal. That's what an organization with ties to former President Trump says. The DeSantis office denies those claims. The Pentagon today released a video showing a Russian jet coming very close to a U.S. military drone, which then crashed into the Black Sea. It's an incident Washington called unsafe and reckless. Here's more. Declassified video released by the Pentagon shows Tuesday's mid-air incident between a U.S. spy drone and a Russian fighter jet in international airspace over the Black Sea. A Russian aircraft can be seen approaching the American Reaper drone, which operators say they then had to crash into the waters of the Black Sea. The Pentagon said the video was edited by the U.S. military for length, but shows events in sequential order. U.S. officials had earlier described how two Russian jets first harried and dumped fuel on the unmanned vehicle before the eventual collision, which is not shown on the released video. The incident prompted a rare direct call between military leaders in Washington and Moscow. I just got off the phone with my Russian counterpart, Minister Shoigu. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin said he'd spoken with Russia's defense minister. And the United States will continue to fly and to operate wherever international law allows. And it is incumbent upon Russia to operate his military aircraft in a safe and professional manner. U.S. General Mark Milley, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, said it was not yet clear whether the collision was intentional or accidental. Russia's defense ministry claimed the American drone was heading toward Russian-held territory, said there was no collision, asserting the drone crashed all on its own. Professor Michael Clark is the former director general of the Royal United Services Institute in London. The United States have been flying drones in open airspace across the Black Sea, as they're perfectly legally entitled to do. The Russians have been trying to buzz them and, and disrupt them for months. Um, it was only a matter of time. Despite Russian denials, Clark told Reuters he believes the collision was real, if unintended. This almost certainly, I'm 99% certain, was an accident, pilot error. I, I mean, the, you know, the, the SU-27 pilot who can deliberately and safely um, fly his plane into the propeller of a, of a Reaper drone hasn't yet been born. So I'm sure it's an accident, and that pilot's very lucky. Russia said it would try to recover the drone wreckage from the sea. General Milley said the waters where the drone splashed down were four to 5,000 feet deep, making any recovery attempt difficult. He added that measures were taken before the crash to ensure no sensitive information could be gleaned from the wreckage. 
A recent study says natural immunity is the best protection against COVID. The research analyzes dozens of studies and concludes it offers better protection than all COVID vaccines. This applies to reinfection, symptomatic infections, and severe disease from all COVID-19 variants. NTD's Daniel Monahan has the details. The large-scale study published in The Lancet used data collected from 65 studies from 19 countries. It demonstrated that previous infection was quite effective against reinfection, symptomatic, or severe disease. According to the study data, prior infection of COVID offers over 80% protection against reinfection, over 82% against symptomatic infection, and 78% against severe disease. That applies for the original strain and the alpha, beta, and delta variants. The protection offered by a previous infection also lasts much longer than that of a vaccine and remains at a higher level compared to many other vaccines as well as their boosters. The protection effectiveness dropped for Omicron variants down to around 45% for reinfection and symptomatic infection, but the effectiveness against severe disease was still above 80% for Omicron. The Omicron variant was a game changer for the efficacy of both vaccines and natural immunity. However, the protection offered by a prior infection still stays above 25% 80 weeks after infection. For the Moderna vaccine, that protection drops to single digits just 40 days after vaccination. Representative Thomas Massey says the CDC had misleading data about natural immunity on its website during the pandemic. They said that the vaccine was 92% efficacious for people who had already had COVID. The Pfizer trial data said no such thing. In fact, it, there was no support for that claim. And many scientists and physicians sung the praises of natural immunity, such as Dr. Peter McCullough. Natural immunity is robust, complete, and durable. For lots of people, getting vaccinated was not a matter of choice. The alternative was losing one's job or not attending school. However, these mandates often overlooked the effectiveness of natural immunity and possibly exposed healthy people to the unknown risks of potential side effects. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention purchased data from tracking companies to monitor compliance with lockdowns. The contracts were just published by the Epoch Times. The CDC paid one firm $420,000 and another $208,000. That bought access to location data from at least 55 million cell phone users. The CDC said it was interested in the percentage of mobile devices at home during a specific period of time. The data could also be integrated with other information to analyze people's movements. That could show what effect lockdowns, social distancing, and quarantines had. The CDC also obtained some data for free. It's been used by multiple researchers, including in two 2020 studies from the CDC. While the data is made anonymous, researchers have shown it can be used to identify people. But the CDC says it stays anonymous and protected. Next, we get some analysis on the disruption of two talks on U.S. campuses and the free speech issues this raises, one at Stanford Law School and the other at UC Davis. We delve into how this affects students, how it involves society more broadly, and the news media's role. Joining us now is constitutional attorney Jenna Ellis. Jenna also served as a senior advisor and counsel to President Donald Trump. It is always great to hear from you, Jenna. Thanks so much for having me, Kevin. Stanford University apologized to Trump-appointed Judge Kyle Duncan for the disruption of his talk caused by students and a diversity dean who was addressed in the apology but not named outright. What are the limits to free speech, and what does the law say regarding campus events? 
Well, this was a Federalist Society event. So this is a uh, private organization on campus that brought this judge in to speak. And so for the diversity, equity, and inclusion uh, dean, which I don't even know why any school, much less a law school, would need such a dean, but for her to come in and only step in when students were heckling the judge, when they were uh, refusing to allow him to give his speech. And then she goes on for about a six-minute diatribe against the judge. It was very inappropriate, especially considering that this was a student organization on campus at the law school that brought in the judge to speak. And so what's interesting here as well is that even though we've seen a lot of these types of events in undergrad universities that are, of course, uh, inappropriate and outrageous in their own right, uh, for this to be happening at a law school just shows that students um, aren't aware of uh, also what they're going to have to face when they have to take the bar exam, because there is a character and fitness portion of the bar exam that if students uh, have any blemishes on their record in terms of uh, whether or not uh, any of these students end up getting suspended or disciplined for this type of um, interference with the judge's speech, that could ultimately play into their ability to be licensed attorneys. Very interesting points, and these students are very fortunate to have the opportunity to hear from a federal appellate judge. What are the implications of things like this beyond the campus? Well, I think that this just shows that our society uh, is really trending toward teaching our young people that you can't uh, ever encounter speech that you don't prefer. And college campuses used to be a place where a lot of ideas were discussed and debated, and you uh, understood that you would, of course, encounter ideas that were different from your own, and it was a free exchange of ideas. But now we're seeing the uh, progressive leftists, especially with the rise of organizations like BLM that promote uh, violence, they promote um, you know, Antifa that promotes violence, that are telling our young people, instead of engaging with ideas that they find offensive, to simply shout down those ideas or start to promote violence. And I think it's a very dangerous precedent when we have uh, these types of situations at law schools and on college campuses that aren't really handled immediately, appropriately uh, by the dean and by the administration. It is important for open discourse to be exposed to points of view that might not necessarily fall within what one would call preferred speech. Now, how does the disruption of judges, Judge Duncan's talk compare to the protests of Charlie Kirk's speech that turned violent and ended with smashed windows? And can you comment on the Sacramento Bee's retracted article? Yeah, well, thankfully, uh, at least as far as we know, the protest for Judge Duncan didn't result in any sort of um, instigation of violence, unlike what happened with Charlie Kirk. And uh, when Antifa is showing up and trying on purpose to uh, promote violence in order to shut down speech, you know, this is, again, where um, we cannot be promoting a society that would foster this kind of, uh, in, of violence in response to free speech. And so if someone doesn't like uh, a speaker like Charlie Kirk that comes into campus, then just don't come. But the uh, legal option is not to go and then start smashing windows and promoting other types of violence. But uh, the Sacramento Bee actually issued a retraction because they had originally um, written that Charlie Kirk was calling for the lynching of trans people, which of course was not the case. Uh, Charlie then tweeted a demand for a retraction. And um, yesterday, Charlie Kirk posted that the Sacramento Bee had actually Actually retracted that and issued an apology uh, for those statements previously. And so I think it's always a good idea for conservatives to push back on misleading or outright false headlines uh, because you know we, we need to make sure to keep the freedom of the press, but also that the press comments and reports fairly and accurately.
Constitutional Attorney Jenna Ellis, thank you so much for your analysis today. Thanks, Kevin. An ally to former President Trump is calling for an investigation into Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. That's for allegedly breaking state law by building up a presidential run. Here's the story. A political action committee, or PAC, ally with former President Trump is seeking an ethics investigation against Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. The governor is a presumed challenger to Trump's bid to become the 2024 Republican presidential nominee. Taylor Butowich is the head of a PAC called Make America Great Again Incorporated. Butowich alleges that DeSantis has been running an illegal shadow campaign for president and is skirting Florida's resign-to-run law. Florida's resign-to-run law requires the resignation of any state office holder who qualifies for an overlapping federal office term. However, it's not clear when exactly the person should resign. DeSantis hasn't officially announced a presidential run yet. However, Butterwich's letter says DeSantis is already a de facto candidate for president while conducting a multi-state tour to promote his new book. Butterwich sent a letter to the Florida Commission on Ethics to investigate DeSantis's activities. He alleges DeSantis' failure to declare his candidacy is no mere oversight. It is a coordinated effort specifically designed for him to accept as unethical gifts, illegal campaign contributions, and certain personal benefits. Butterwich also claims that DeSantis leaves the State House vacant while embarking on his national book tour. A spokeswoman for the Ethics Commission said she could neither confirm nor deny whether a formal complaint against DeSantis was lodged. Governor DeSantis's communications director said on the allegations, adding this to the list of frivolous and politically motivated attacks. It's inappropriate to use state ethics complaints for partisan purposes. Butterwich says DeSantis should be penalized if the Ethics Commission finds wrongdoing possibly by removing him from office and disqualifying him from any future ballot in Florida. Credit Suisse announced today it would borrow up to $54 billion from the Swiss Central Bank. That's after its shares dropped by as much as 30% yesterday and closed the day at about 14% down. The news of the loan helped slow heavy selling in Asian markets this morning and sent Credit Suisse shares up close to 26%. But trade remains volatile and sentiment fragile. Here's more on the bank's situation. Swiss investment bank Credit Suisse is navigating financial trouble. Its biggest shareholder, Saudi National Bank, says it can't increase its stake in Credit Suisse anymore due to regulations. This prompted investors to sell. Credit Suisse shares lost more than a quarter of their value at one point on Wednesday, hitting a record low. Started with SVB, Silicon Valley Bank, over the weekend and then the signature bank failure. And Credit Suisse has experienced some of the same challenges that those banks have in terms of deposit withdrawals. You had $110 billion of Swiss francs leave Credit Suisse in the the fourth quarter. Financial analyst Robert Kiyosaki, who predicted the collapse of Lehman Brothers back in 2008, made the following prediction on Fox News this Monday. The problem is the bond market. And my prediction, you know, I called uh, Lehman Brothers years ago, and uh, I think the next bank to go is Credit Suisse because the bond market is crashing. The trouble of Credit Suisse is fanning new fears about the health of financial institutions. A financial expert says a potential collapse of Credit Suisse would be more devastating than the recent collapse of Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank in the U.S. Its um, balance sheet is about two and a half times as big as SVB. Uh, It's about half a trillion um, uh, Swiss franc, which is not that far from half a trillion um, uh, dollars. 
Um, so it's bigger. But the, but the more important difference is that Credit Suisse has a lot of links to um, the financial sectors of other countries. Switzerland's central bank announced late Wednesday that it was prepared to act, saying it would provide liquidity to Credit Suisse if needed. Swiss banking regulators said that Credit Suisse meets the higher capital and liquidity requirements applicable to systemically important banks. The regulators also added, quote, there are no indications of a direct risk of contagion for Swiss institutions due to the current turmoil in the U.S. banking market. Next, we get an analyst's take on the situation. Lana Nguyen is Reuters U.S. finance editor. She breaks down the bank's problems, how the chaos rippled across markets, and what could be coming next. It's had a series of scandals over the last few years, including, you know, management drama um, on top of large trading losses because of its dealings with a big family office. And since the fall, it's been really trying to turn the ship around by launching a strategic review. It's laid off thousands of employees. So those are Credit Suisse specific problems. Layer on top of that the fact that three U.S. banks have failed in the last week. That has really shaken the confidence of investors about the banking sector as a it is a globally systemic important bank. Systemically important in regulator speak means that this is a really big bank. It has a lot of interconnections across the economy. That includes stock markets, bond markets, um, you know, sovereign bonds for many different countries. And so it just shows how large these institutions are and how important they are in the global economy. So anytime there's a knock to confidence, it will knock confidence across the board, across the global economy, not just in one narrow spot. The question is whether this knock to confidence is also going to start a self-fulfilling downward negative spiral that then leads to a full-blown financial crisis and panic. The U.S. Treasury says it's monitoring the situation around Credit Suisse and is in touch with global counterparts. The House Financial Services Committee wants to learn more about the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank. The chair of the committee, North Carolina Representative Patrick McHenry, says he is planning to call a hearing on the issue. It is my responsibility as chair of the Financial Services Committee to get to the bottom of what happened. Then we can decide on the path forward. McHenry indicated that consequences for SVB's executives should be on the table if they determine mismanagement led to the failure. People who don't have a permanent address often have trouble registering a firearms license. A bill reintroduced in the U.S. Senate aims to change that. The Traveler's Gun Rights Act would allow people who live full-time in RVs, have multiple homes, or are military personnel to register alternate addresses on paperwork with the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives. Currently, firearms buyers are required to list an address on ATF paperwork, but P.O. boxes or private mailboxes are prohibited. The Republicans introducing the bill say the current requirement is unfair, And the bill is important for active-duty military members who move frequently. Microsoft has fired the last remaining members of its AI ethics team. This was during the most recent round of mass layoffs. The company is signing a multi-year, multi-billion dollar investment deal with OpenAI. That's the startup behind AI-powered image and text generators. Microsoft has recently incorporated OpenAI's software into its Bing search engine and Edge internet browser. The ethics team was tasked with making sure Microsoft's ethical standards regarding AI were actually reflected in product designs. 
The team was at its peak size of 30 members in 2020. Microsoft still maintains its Office of Responsible AI, which focuses on creating principles to guide AI development. But employees told TechSite Platformer that the ethics team was playing a key role in bridging the gap between principles and products. Microsoft told Platformer that even with the ethics team gone, the overall amount of work dedicated to responsible AI has increased. We've heard a lot recently about artificial intelligence or AI. Now Google is bringing that technology to some of its most popular products. In Gmail and Google Docs, you can type in a topic you'd like to write about and a draft will be generated for you. From there, you can ask for the tone to be more professional or more playful and make your own tweaks. These features will be rolled out to selected testers in the coming weeks. Google is also unveiling an AI app builder to help businesses or governments build their own AI-powered chats and digital assistants. The tech giant says companies could customize their own AI applications in a matter of minutes or hours. Testing on that started Wednesday. In Pennsylvania, a college hockey player is facing criticism after a viral security video showed him pushing an empty wheelchair down the stairs of a crowded bar. The video, which is timestamped at just before midnight Saturday at Sullivan's Pub in Erie, shows two men start moving the wheelchair. One of them, who's been identified as a Mercyhurst University junior, sits in the chair and rolls back and forth before he stands up and pushes it down the stairs. The wheelchair belongs to a woman who didn't want to be identified. It's damaged, but she is still able to use it. Both the student and his father have issued statements apologizing for the incident. Mercyhurst, a private Catholic university with about 3,000 students, also issued a statement. The video went viral after the manager of the pub posted it on Twitter. According to Twitter analytics, it has now been seen more than 22 million times. Police say the incident is under investigation. Hondas were calling hundreds of thousands of vehicles because of a problem with the seatbelt. Over 448,000 vehicles are covered in the recall. Honda says the seatbelts in the driver's seat and front passenger seat may not latch properly. As a result, a person is at an increased risk of injury in the event of a crash since they may not be restrained. The automaker says it has not received any reports of injuries due to the problem. Impacted owners will be contacted by mail starting April 17th. Bars and nightclubs in Miami Beach will be allowed to serve alcohol until 5 a.m., at least through the spring break season. Earlier this week, a judge had ruled that the time for last call for alcohol in parts of South Beach could be moved up to 2 a.m. That was to address residents' complaints about noise from bars and nightclubs. But then on Wednesday, a judge granted a temporary halt to the planned limit on alcohol sales after 2 a.m. in South Beach. That after Story Nightclub filed a motion to withhold enforcement of the city ordinance until after March 27th when spring break tourism peaks. In the southern tip of Florida, a project to rehydrate the wetlands of the Everglades is in full swing. The unique ecosystem provides fresh water for almost 9 million Americans. Everglades restoration is really an enormous carbon sink. It only works though when the ecosystem is wet and often The Everglades are too dry for too long. That leads to the oxidation of these peat soils across this surface that spans millions of acres. The Everglades is a 1.5 million acre wetlands preserve, as well as the largest subtropical wilderness in the U.S. But throughout the 20th century, the wetlands lost about half of its total area. Water was diverted to agriculture and urban uses, and new roads cut off its water supply from the nearby lake 
The ongoing project aims to store surplus water from the lake and purify it in a stormwater treatment area before releasing it south to the Everglades. The process not only helps restore water flow, it also reduces unwanted flooding. The overflow from the lake has been blamed for causing toxic red algae blooms. Experts say the project marks the biggest effort to bring back the natural flow of water in the Everglades. We've made great progress, particularly over the past decade. With completion of the one-mile bridge on Tamiami Trail, uh, the, providing the necessary flood control for communities to the east, uh, and then again building that reservoir south of Lake Okeechobee that just broke ground this week. Over the past year, the U.S. federal and state governments have each committed more than $1 billion to the project. The U.S. Army Corps of Engineers held a groundbreaking ceremony for the project in late February. Construction is due for completion in 2029. And coming up, for the first time in over a decade, the leader of South Korea is visiting neighboring Japan. The two countries are moving closer amid threats from North Korea and China. And Credit Suisse financial troubles echo through stock markets worldwide. Find out what caused the bank's shares to tumble and what's being done to help after the break. Good to have you back with us. South Korea's president is in Japan today. It's the first visit by a Seoul leader in 12 years. Just hours before he arrived, North Korea fired another ballistic missile that landed in the sea between the three countries. Japan and South Korea are both allies of the U.S., but have centuries of animosity between them. Now, they're increasingly being driven closer together by the Chinese regime's growing presence in world affairs and mutual security threats such as North Korea. Underlying that subject, North Korea launched another long-range ballistic missile that landed in the sea between the three countries just hours before President Yoon Suk-yeol arrived in Japan. This video, released by Japan's defense ministry, is believed to show the missile's contrail. Yoon and Japanese Prime Minister hashed out several new agreements in the visit, including tightening intelligence sharing and ending an almost four-year dispute over raw materials used in high-tech equipment. The visit also came in the middle of joint military drills between South Korean and American forces. Britain has banned TikTok from all government devices. The country became the latest to bar the social media app following the U.S., Canada, Belgium and the European Union. We are also going to ban the use of TikTok on government devices. We will do so with immediate effect. Mr. Speaker, this is a precautionary move. We know that there is already limited use of TikTok across government, but it is also good cyber hygiene. Cabinet Office Minister Oliver Dowden said the decision was based on an official review. He referenced the platform's access to sensitive government data and says the ban doesn't apply to personal devices, adding government devices will only be able to access third-party apps from a pre-approved list. Concerns are mounting that TikTok's access to user data could harm Western security interests. The popular app is owned by Beijing-based company ByteDance and is required to provide data to the CCP if asked to do so. Meanwhile, the White House has warned that TikTok may be banned across the U.S. if ByteDance refuses to sell its stake in the app. 
And in New York, prosecutors arrested exiled Chinese businessman Guo Wenguei yesterday. He is accused of orchestrating a scheme to defraud more than a billion dollars from his online followers. Entity's Jeremy Sandberg has more on his arrest. Guo Wenguei, also known as Miles Guo, faces an 11-count indictment charging him with wire fraud, securities fraud, bank fraud, and money laundering. The Justice Department says about $634 million in illicit funds were seized from Guo's 21 different bank accounts between September 2022 and March 2023. The DOJ stated that it seeks to forfeit the funds. They believe the money is from his alleged fraud. Prosecutors say Guo used the funds to enrich himself and his family. Some of his assets include a 50,000-square-foot mansion worth around $26 million, a $3.5 million Ferrari, and a $37 million luxury yacht. The Ferrari has also been seized. Authorities say Guo and his longtime financial advisor, King Mingzhe, cheated thousands of followers since 2018 by promising investment returns. They are being accused of diverting much of that money. The 52-year-old Chinese billionaire fled to the United States in 2015 and bought a penthouse apartment at a hotel overlooking Central Park. Court filings state he gained a substantial online following as a vocal critic of the Chinese Communist Party in about 2017 and exploited his fame to solicit investments. Guo was arrested Wednesday morning in an FBI raid on his apartment. He pleaded not guilty in Manhattan federal court and is being held without bail. Zhe lives in London and faces the same 11 criminal counts, plus an obstruction charge. He is at large. A fire broke out in Guo's apartment following the raid. An FBI spokesperson confirmed agents were still inside Guo's apartment when the fire started, about six hours after Guo was arrested. The agents evacuated and reported the fire to police. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. Honduras is cutting ties with Taiwan and seeking official relations with China. The Honduran president announced the decision on Tuesday. Honduras' foreign minister says the decision is driven by pragmatism, not ideology. He cited rising debt and investment needs. The country owes Taiwan around $600 million. The finance ministry says total external debt for Honduras stood around $8 billion in the third quarter of 2022. The move comes ahead of a visit by Taiwan's President Tsai Ing-wen to the U.S. and Central America. If Honduras does end relations with Taiwan, it will leave the island with only 13 diplomatic allies. Here's what an analyst said about the switch. For China, the interest is purely political. It is to take away another ally from Taiwan and confront the United States, and that is what's happening. We are part of the pieces of an international chess game, but we don't understand it. We think we are big players if we establish relations with China. China is using us. Taiwan has accused China of luring its allies with pledges of massive loans. Taiwan's foreign ministry is urging the Honduran government to consider its decision carefully. They warned them not to fall into China's trap. The U.S. State Department also has a warning for Honduras. A State Department spokesperson said yesterday the Honduran government should be aware that China makes many unfulfilled promises. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, don't hesitate to email us at news.today at ntd.com. Just ahead, the leader of Syria says he supports Russia setting up new military bases in his own country. This comes after he concluded a meeting with President Putin in Moscow. And Ukrainian soldiers are training with Germany's leopard tanks. Ukraine hopes the tanks will give them an edge in what has become a war of attrition. Stay tuned for more in just a minute.
Syrian leader Bashar al-Assad says he welcomes new Russian military bases in his own country. The remarks come after his meeting with Russian President Vladimir Putin in the Kremlin yesterday. We believe that if Russia has the desire to expand bases or increase their number, it is a technical or logistical issue. We think that expanding the Russian presence in Syria is a good thing. Assad has sided with Russia on the war in Ukraine. He also welcomed an increase of Russian troops in Syria, adding that they don't need to be temporary. An uprising in Syria 10 years ago turned into a full-blown civil war before Russia stepped in to support Assad in 2015. To this day, Russia still controls some of the country's naval and air bases. Assad said Russia and Syria plan to sign a draft of deals on economic cooperation in the coming weeks. Speaking of Russia, President Putin is urging Russia's billionaires to invest in new technology, production facilities, and enterprises. This is to help overcome what he said were Western attempts to destroy its economy. Something else I would like to single out, speaking about the new model of economic growth. First of all, we need to increase production facilities and start new enterprises, create new jobs across the country, using domestic technological base and in cooperation with friendly countries. Putin was addressing Russia's business elite in person for the first time since sending troops into Ukraine last year. Putin told them their role is not just to make money, but to support society. He hailed entrepreneurs who looked after their workers and directed their talents not just towards profit, but for the public good. Putin went on, adding that this sort of citizen doesn't keep assets in offshore accounts, but invests at home. Though welcomed with a standing ovation, he was delivering a tough message to Russia's richest people that they need to think more about the needs of their country and less about their own bottom line. Ukrainian soldiers are currently training with Germany's Leopard tanks. Berlin was initially reluctant to send the armored vehicles after Moscow said the move would be a provocation. Entity's Andrew Thomas has the details. Ukrainian troops fired the 120-millimeter guns of their Leopard tanks at a German shooting range on Monday. In a few days, they'll return home with the armored fighting vehicles. The the Ukrainians are facing the most dangerous phase of the war since the illegal aggression on the 24th of February last year. Now they are in a kind of defensive position uh, against more than 300,000 Russian combatants. Ukraine hopes the tanks will give them an edge in what has become a war of attrition. When they will be able to involve uh, battle tanks like Leopard, they will be able to breach through and to uh, look at counter-attacking. At the present time, they are fighting for Bakhmut, uh, and they are quite doing a fine job. The balance of forces is not in their favor. Germany agreed in January to supply the Leopards. They're regarded as one of the best in the West's arsenal. Moscow says sending the tanks is a dangerous provocation. Last week, the German defense minister stated that all 18 modern Leopards would reach Ukraine before the end of March. For the German trainers, it will be difficult to see their trainees return to the conflict. It absolutely affects you to know what kind of situation they're going into. They are going to war, to a terribly brutal war, where the enemy evidently does not abide by any of the rules. Of course, we also have to assume that some of these comrades will fall or be seriously wounded. 
and that's never fine. Nobody's fine with this. Leonin Koda commands the 1st Siversk Tank Brigade. He expects the Western tanks to give Ukraine significant advantages on the battlefield. The concept and tactics of tank usage in battle will significantly change because these tanks have higher firing range, other capabilities like a digital information field. If this equipment is used properly, one can destroy the enemy before the enemy approaches its firing range. The Leopard tanks could be the breakthrough the Ukrainians have been hoping for. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. A Ukrainian tycoon continues to claim innocence over accusations of embezzlement. Konstantin Zhivago said today that he feels his arguments were heard by the French court. Ukraine's President Zelensky seeks to clip the wings of oligarchs who have dominated the economy since the fall of the Soviet Union three decades ago and crack down on corruption. Billionaire Zhivago was arrested at a French ski resort in December at the request of Ukraine. He is accused of taking more than $100 million from a now-bankrupt lending firm. His lawyers told the French court that extraditing him would be a legal off-road, as he shouldn't be sent back to a war zone. They also said Ukraine couldn't guarantee a fair trial because the case was politically motivated. The French prosecutor says some parts of Ukraine aren't in high-intensity conflict, and the other arguments aren't enough to prevent extradition. Zhivago denies wrongdoing and says the bank was one of dozens to lose vast sums of money after Russia annexed Crimea in 2014. The German military is suffering from a shortage of weapons and equipment, stocks of which have continued to decline over the last year. The German Parliament's Armed Forces Commissioner has denounced the government for being slow to replenish stocks after rushing arms to Kyiv and for a delay in spending a special fund to boost Germany's defenses. Here's the story. A senior German MP has lamented the slow pace of Germany's drive to modernize its military, the Bundeswehr. The Bundeswehr has too little of everything and it has even less since February 24, 2022. This affects the training, this affects the exercises, and this also affects the equipment in the field. In the wake of Russia's invasion, Chancellor Olaf Scholz pledged last year to increase defence spending to NATO's target of 2% of GDP and create a 100 billion euro special fund to bring the forces back up to scratch. The lawmaker who acts as the advocate of the armed forces noted none of the fund was actually spent, though some major orders were placed. In her annual report, Hugel called the state of the barracks across the country pitiful, with some lacking functioning toilets and clean showers. She also urged the government to replenish the military stocks after rushing arms to Kiev. It will be a while before we can say that our troops are fully operational, but I would like to give you a figure. It should be a target of 2030-2031. After hesitating to send lethal weapons to Ukraine, Germany has since become one of Kiev's biggest arms suppliers. Germany's defence minister is seeking to raise his budget by about £8 billion a year. Police in Vienna stepped up armed patrols at churches after intelligence indicated a potential Islamist attack. Police took the rare step of warning the public on social media of the heightened presence of armed officers, including special forces. The tourist-filled streets of central Vienna remained busy as usual after the warning, and the increased police presence at St. Stephen's Cathedral was barely noticeable. Vienna is among the safest capitals in the world, and militant attacks are rare. 
And just ahead, the UK announces sweeping state-funded childcare reforms and pension tax breaks, encouraging people to return to work. Find out what's in the new budget. And bird flu was detected in Chile this week. Around 40,000 poultry had to be culled and buried. Stay tuned for more on that when we return. Welcome back. In the UK, Chancellor Jeremy Hunt unveils his first budget, which he says aims to spur on the economy. It includes sweeping state-funded childcare reforms and major pension tax breaks. The hope is to incentivize people on universal credit and people over 50 to work. Call a Chancellor of the Exchequer. Chancellor Jeremy Hunt said on Wednesday, the economy will avoid the recession while unveiling his budget to the Commons. They forecast we will meet the Prime Minister's priorities to halve inflation, reduce debt and get the economy growing. We are following the plan and the plan is working. The Office for Budget Responsibility forecast a contraction of 0.2% this year, a significant improvement on the over 1% drop predicted in November. Hunt also said inflation is forecast to fall to less than 3% by the end of the year. Other key points included a major expansion in state-funded childcare. The Chancellor pledged up to 30 hours a week for children as young as nine months. He said the phased policy, which will be fully introduced by September 2025, will be worth up to £6,500 a year for working families. I don't want any parent with a child under five to be prevented from working if they want to, because it's damaging to our economy and unfair mainly to women. He also promised an expansion in wraparound care at the start and finish of the school day for parents with older children. Other changes relate to staff-to-child ratios in England that will allow the expansion of childcare supply. I want to help the 700,000 parents on universal credit who until the reforms I announced today had limited requirements to look for work. Many remain out of work because they cannot afford the upfront payment necessary to access subsidised childcare. The Chancellor announced a major tax break to encourage people over 50 to continue to work. No one should be pushed out of the workforce for tax reasons. So today I will increase the pensions annual tax-free allowance from by 50% from 40,000 to 60,000. Some have also asked me to increase the lifetime allowance from its one million pound limit. But I've decided not to do that. Instead, I will go further and abolish the lifetime allowance Labour leader Sir Keir Starmer said the Chancellor's budget was dressing up stagnation as stability. After 13 years of his government, our economy needed major surgery. But like millions across our country, this budget leaves us stuck in the waiting room with only a sticking plaster to hand. A country set on a path of managed decline, falling behind our competitors, the sick man of Europe once again. As part of a package aimed at helping with the cost of living, the Chancellor said the energy price guarantee will be extended at its current level from April to June. This maintains the cap of average household energy bills at £2,500. The fuel duty freeze 
is to stay for another year, and the 5P cut to fuel duty implemented a year ago will also be maintained for another year, saving the average driver around £100. Solar panel installations in the UK doubled in 2022 compared to the year before. Homeowners are attempting to beat the spike in energy prices. And today's Andrew Thomas has the latest. In this town north of London, Humi Tiruchalvam checks his smart meter. It reads zero watts, which means he's not using any electricity from the grid. So nothing from the grid at the moment. And if I just press this button here, we show cost which is zero for electricity from the grid and my current load in the house coming from the solar panels. Tiru Chalvam spent between $14,000 and $15,000 to install solar panels, but he considered it a good investment amid surging energy prices. The Office for National Statistics found that electricity prices in the UK were up 67% this January compared to January 2022. And we've had a combination of soaring energy prices around the world and then also we've increased our electricity consumption in the home through a number of reasons including electric vehicles. Tiru Chalvum used Atovo to get a quote for the solar panel installation. The Norwegian company recently launched in the UK. Using their app, he can monitor the electricity generated from his phone. It's very simple. You go to atovo.co.uk, you enter in your postcode, uh, and then you're able to generate basic pricing based on whether you want a battery, how many panels you want, uh, and then based on that, you input your personal details, uh, and you can be put in touch with one of our sales consultants. The UK isn't particularly well known for its pleasant weather, but that doesn't mean the panels are ineffective. Despite uh, the weather that we have today and uh, the general conception of you know, cloudy days in the UK, actually it's one of the very well-producing uh, countries in, in Europe. In fact, the UK is able to compete with other large European countries. So we produce the same amount of, of solar kind of electricity as comparable to, say, Germany um, and in many parts of France and, and Spain. So there's, there's quite enough sunlight in the UK for, for consumers. In January alone, there were nearly 15,000 domestic solar power installations added to the British grid. That's more than any other month since 2016. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. A hotel in a southern English town had to be evacuated when it went up in flames this morning local time. The building was reportedly housing Ukrainian refugees. Eyewitness video showed a huge fire ripping through the 400-year-old Angel Inn in Midhurst, West Sussex, and the building next door. The eyewitness said the hotel on North Street was housing Ukrainian refugees at the time of the fire. In a statement, West Sussex Fire and Rescue said the team received an alert at 108 GMT on Thursday, adding that 15 fire engines were deployed to the scene where over 30 people were evacuated. The cause of the fire is not yet known, and the road is currently closed. And in Italy, two American tourists convicted of murdering a policeman in Rome in 2019 are granted a new trial. That's at the order of Italy's highest court. An appeals court convicted 19-year-old Finnegan Lee Elder to 24 years in prison last year for stabbing Mario Cercelli Rego to death in Rome. His friend, 18-year-old Gabriel Natale Yort, was handed a 22-year term. 
The stabbing occurred following a botched attempt to buy drugs. The court will issue its reasons for the new trial in the coming weeks and instruct an appeals court on the issues to examine. Police say the officer was not armed at the time and was stabbed 11 times by Elder with a 7-inch blade. The defense argues that plainclothes police did not identify themselves as law enforcement. The encounter happened during an operation to recover a backpack that the two Americans stole during a failed drug deal. Elder claims he pulled out the knife in self-defense to break free as the officer tried to strangle him. Natalia Yort testified that he grappled with the officer's partner and was unaware of the stabbing when he ran back to the hotel. Fish in Spain are being hit hard by dry weather. Tons are being killed off in Catalonia as part of an anti-drought measure by the region. The aim is to preserve water quality in a drying reservoir. Fishing boats could be seen sailing around what's remaining of the reservoir using their nets to catch the fish. Local authorities say they would struggle to survive in the low oxygen water. Invasive species are set to be euthanized while natives will be released in nearby waters. The hope is to minimize the risk of a massive fish die-off contaminating the drinking water. From fish to birds, around 40,000 chickens were culled and buried in central Chile yesterday. The country took these steps after detecting its first case of bird flu in an industrial setting. A farming official says it was a limited event and authorities haven't detected more cases in the surrounding area. The outbreak was detected on Monday in a plant belonging to meat producer AgroSuper in central Chile. The government then suspended chicken exports for a 28-day period. Cases of bird flu, mostly in wild animals, have been detected in Chile since late last year. Argentina confirmed its first case in industrial poultry last month, causing it to suspend avian product exports as well. And still to come, NASA unveils a prototype of a next-generation spacesuit. It could be what astronauts wear on the next moon mission. Details to come on NTD News Today. NASA on Wednesday unveiled the first prototype for a newly designed next-generation spacesuit, making the traditional puffy moon suits all but obsolete. The new suit is specifically designed to offer more flexibility and comfort for astronauts with a range of accessories. So this suit's a little bit different than the suits of uh, kind of today that's used on the space station. So this is called a rear entry design or a back entry design. This hatch would open up. Um, you would put your feet in, put your arms in, and then kind of shimmy down into the suit. And then we would close the hatch. The light band is mounted to the visor assembly into the helmet bubble. Uh, and this, this essentially gives the astronauts lights to see where they're in shaded portions of the moon or if they're in low Earth orbit in a night pass, they can turn on these lights to see um, using tools or translating on the space station or anything like that. We also have on the side here, we have a HD video camera. So those of us back on Spaceship Earth watching the EVA uh, will be able to watch it in high definition, which will be a fantastic upgrade. The latest in moonwear was displayed at the Johnson Space Center in Houston. The suits were built by Texas-based Axiom Space for the moon program Artemis, successor to the Apollo missions. Artemis 1 completed a successful unmanned test flight around the moon and back in December. A manned flight could take place as early as next year. NASA and the Canadian Space Agency plan to announce the four astronauts chosen for the mission on April 3rd. The northern lights lit up the sky last night in Finnish Lapland. Here's a look at the glowing shapes and colors. Green, yellow, white, purple, and the rarer red auroras could be seen throughout the night. The auroras appeared over the sky within the Arctic Circle. 
They were captured by a local photographer who claims it was the best display so far in 2023. March is generally considered to be one of the best months for the Northern Lights. More auroras are likely to be seen in the weeks to come. The James Webb Space Telescope has spotted a star on the brink of exploding. The Space Observatory captured this image of a Wolf-Rayet star 15,000 light years from Earth in the Sagittarius constellation. Wolf-Rayet stars are some of the brightest and largest stars in the universe. Some stars briefly become a Wolf-Rayet before exploding in a supernova, so it's rare for astronomers to spot them. NASA released this image Tuesday. It reveals unprecedented details in infrared light, which is invisible to the human eye. The star, surrounded by a halo of glowing gas and dust, shines at the center. Studying stars like this one with Webb helps astronomers understand what happened in the early days of the universe. That's when dying stars exploded and released heavy elements that ended up on Earth and even inside our own bodies. Scientists have discovered something new on Venus, evidence of volcanic activity. NASA's Magellan spacecraft captured images of the planet's surface in the early 1990s. And scientists looking back over the decades-old images spotted a volcanic vent. They say it changed shape and got much bigger over the span of eight months. The finding is the first direct geological evidence of recent volcanic activity on the surface of Venus. Venus is our closest planetary neighbor. It's similar both in size and composition and is sometimes referred to as Earth's twin. Birds live everywhere from Antarctica to the tropics, and an American conservation photographer has worked his whole career trying to protect them all. Tim Lehman has photographed birds for three decades. He's the first person to capture every known species of the bird of paradise on camera. Between 2004 and 2012, he made 18 trips to New Guinea for the project, spending a total of 544 days there and taking nearly 40,000 pictures. This enormous endeavor gets a whole chapter in his new book, Bird Planet. But it's not just exotic places. Lehman also showcases the splendor of birds in his own backyard. He hopes people will see his photos and try to protect their own pockets of nature. That's all for today's program. We're really glad to have you with us. Please send us an email if you'd like to tell us something. We're going to put it on screen. For podcasters, that's news.today at ntd.com. I'm Kevin Hogan, NTD News, New York City. 